You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, episode number one. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Benjamin Hall from Dreamloud Studio. Benjamin, very excited, very nervous to be doing this with you. And you're <laughs> supposed to be my you're supposed to be the veteran podcaster here. So I'm really I'm really looking to anchor myself on your on your flow. Oh <laughs> I'll help you along. You'll be my Padawan learner. It'll it'll all be good. It'll be fun. But no, I'm I'm extremely excited to be doing this with you as well. And thank you, every listener out there, for joining us on our inaugural episode of the DIY Recording Guys. It's going to be a great time. Right on. I'm just going to share my uh, my quick biggest fear with you about this thing. Oh, yeah, go I'm ahead. A, I'm an avid podcast listener, and usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll pick an episode that just sounds good or it has a guest I know on it. And if I like it, I'll do that a couple more times. And then eventually I just dive into episode one. And just start like rifling through the whole catalog, right? Yeah, yeah. And like inevitably those first 10 episodes, like the hosts are awkward a little bit, right? <laughs> or like one is a little bit louder than the other one. So my, my fear is that six months from now, we're just going to be mortified at this episode. Yeah, well, it's it's absolutely going to happen. But I mean, there's a good lesson in that too. Like eventually at the end of the day, you just got to jump in and do it, you know? Everybody has a everybody has a baby step that they got to get through. So, yeah, I mean, I guess thankfully we're not doing this live in front of other people. So, even though it will be going out live to the rest of the world, it's just me and you right now. So, <laughs> that's a little bit of solace, I guess. That's a good thing. Yeah, we can edit yeah. out all the all the really terrible bits. So, what you're hearing is actually the cream of the crop. So, <laughs> take that for what it's <laughs> worth. The really bad <laughs> stuff we cut out. All right, dude. So, DIY recording guys. What is it? What are we about? What are we trying to do here? Heck yeah. So yeah, DIY recording guys, the point of this podcast is we want to help you guys record your own music. It's basically as simple as it sounds. Um, we kind of felt like that there was a need, uh, at least in the podcasting sphere, uh, sphere, as far as giving information out to bands or artists that want to record themselves. Cause I don't know about you, Vadim, uh, but whenever I first tried to record myself, it was really hard to find the information, uh, the correct information, the information in the correct order that I needed to learn or know how to record either the songs that I was doing or it could be anything else, even like this podcast we're recording, but how to record the ideas in my head, in my song and get them um out into a physical medium, whether that's, I mean, CDs are obsolete now, but you know, we all record and, and we put it in our um, digital audio workstations to share with the rest of the world. And just figuring out how to do that process was a really time consuming and difficult process. It was really hard to find that information. So uh, both you and I just saw this need that could be filled and we want to share our knowledge that we've gained over all of our years of playing and recording, we want to share that with you guys and help you guys get farther along in the process quicker than we had to struggle through 
ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's gotten better to a, a certain degree than I think, and we'll talk about our own stories in a minute here and how we got started. But even still, you know, you go on YouTube, a lot of the, the content out there is based on mixing and mastering. And we're really going to try to focus on, you know, that mixing and mastering is kind of what we would consider post-production, right? It's what happens yeah. after the recording is complete. We're really going to focus on the the production aspect of it. And, you know, one thing, you know, when you and I started talking, we both kind of ha have a similar approach in the sense that we like gear, but we're kind of gear skeptics in a way. Mm -hmm. We like to think about things from a first principles approach. So, okay, what are we actually trying to do here? And, you know, there's there's been a lot of great advances in the uh, home recording sphere and at the same, that's great. It's actually, it's wonderful for us. At the same time, all of these companies are trying to sell us stuff. And so yeah. we kind of want to approach things with a little bit of healthy skepticism and help you guys and help ourselves parse through what's out there. What do you really need to take your recordings to the next level? And I think what we really are gearing this towards people who are new to the process or people who are just, just feel they need to take their recordings to just that one extra notch up. Uh, this podcast is for you. Yeah. In other words, I liked what you said about um, just the companies that are trying to market to us to sell their gear. Like that's something very important to keep in mind whenever you're researching all this stuff, because inevitably when you type in on your, your keyboard, you know, what are the best recording interfaces or what is the best microphone, USB microphone I need to buy to record my simple, um, my vocal part to this song. And when you type that in, Google's keeping track and records of all of this. And, and people also have an idea of like how many times these searches are happening on the internet. And so companies are specifically saying like, oh, these people are searching this specific thing. Let's run ads. Let's market to these people. So like you said, with a healthy skepticism, it's important to keep in mind that psychology of you can't always believe exactly the marketing that's that's put out there of this is absolutely the microphone or this is absolutely the interface or this is absolutely the program or software that's going to transform your lame recordings <laughs> into like something that sounds you know and just pick your favorite artist you know first name that comes ahead it's this is going to make the biggest difference because i know for me and that's that was where the the light bulb came on for me as far as that goes was when I started realizing after I acquired some gear that like the gear didn't really make that big, that much of a difference. And that's such a depressing feeling whenever you're like, Oh, like I finally got this microphone that I really wanted, or I got these sweet speakers or this setup. And then you record something and you listen back and you're like, uh, it, you know, it's still me. It's still me at the end of the day recording. And so I guess, I guess long story short, we want to do two different things. We want to uh, kind of peel back some of the the fog or peel back the curtain a little bit and and explain at least from our, uh, it might be some of our opinion, but at least what we think is most important when it comes to gear, what you can expect out of gear, what you can expect out of gear, and ultimately how important the individual is when you're doing a recording. Like that, that's kind of the crux the crux of things. Yeah. All right. So on that note, Ben, who are you and what makes you qualified to talk about DIY recording? 
Ah! <laughs> well, <laughs> I put you on the spot there. Yeah, you did. Well, uh, so like Vadim said, my name is Ben Hall. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> and I'm a, I would consider myself a producer slash uh, mixing engineer. I guess you could say just audio engineer in general, although I like to specialize in mixing more than anything else. But to be good at mixing, you have to know some of recording. Um, so I grew up in a very musical family. My mom's a piano teacher. She taught me piano whenever I was a kid. So I just had that music language ingrained in me from a child. And so fast forward to whenever I'm a young teenager, I get into rock music, stuff like that. And that's when I realized, oh man, like I want to be an amazing drummer. Like this can really be my thing. And I found that I had an aptitude for, for music. I ju it just came naturally to me. I picked it up really quickly. And so I started practicing drums all the time, just um, absorbing as much music as I possibly could all through my teen years. And something really important happened whenever I got into high school was that I picked up bass guitar because I figured kind of like um, the same thing whenever you're learning a, uh, a secondary language, like every subsequent language that you learn after that becomes so much easier to absorb. It's almost like your brain starts to realize or figure out like uh, the fundamental bits of what language is and how each language might be a little bit different, but they all have these fundamental things that are similar. And so I figured the same thing was going to happen with me learning bass. It was going to make me a better drummer. If I learn an instrument that has some melody associated with it, it's going to help me listen to music or play things as a drummer. But the opposite thing happened where... Not opposite in it made me worse, but the opposite happened as far as I picked up bass and then everybody wanted me to play in their band because nobody wanted to be a bass player back then. Everybody either wanted to be, well, as far as rock bands go, and this was in the early 2000s, so that was whenever new metal was probably at its height. So we're talking oh, like yeah. Corn and Slipknot, and I mean, even Limp Bizkit was still big back then, which is <laughs> so really, that's going way really, back. That really yeah. makes you sound old, the Limp Bizkit part, yeah. That <laughs> yeah, that part does because they're funny enough. They're, I saw that they're still around and touring, but they're nowhere near like a you know like a household name or anymore. But uh, anyways, I digress. But back then, like everybody wanted to be the guitar player or the drummer, and not so much love for the bass player. But because I specifically like started focusing on bass a lot, I kind of as we would say, niched down. And <laughs> I found my niche was playing bass. And the cool thing was, is that like being a drummer first and probably even piano whenever I was younger, it made me approach bass in a very like percussive or interesting way. Like I always tell people I play bass like a drummer. And so rhythm is always really important to me. And even whenever I'm producing, I'm always thinking about like where the rhythms of the vocals, the drums, the guitar, like the bass, what's going on there. Like rhythm is super important to me. Uh, so yeah, anyways, um, played in a few different bands through that time, decided not to like pursue the the music thing, like full bore. I went to college, got a chemistry degree. So yeah, I've got the, I guess that would be left side of my brain, the technical side. The creative side's the right side, correct? I forget. I don't know, stage left or stage right? 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> one, one or the other. So I'm, I'm pretty equally balanced as far as like right and left brain, which I think is the same as you are, Vadim. And, and true of most audio engineers, I think. You need that like equal balance of creativity and technical to kind of bring it all together. Um, so I went to college and, you know, got my chemistry degree. Uh, but at the same time, I was still writing music, still playing like all the time playing in bands, playing for musicals, playing for whatever. Uh, and then like a crazy thing happened. So after I um, graduated college and got my first chemistry job, I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> this is super boring. I've made a horrible mistake. And not to say that college is bad or that I don't appreciate my chemistry degree. It's just, I realized that like I couldn't give up on music. And so... I just started reaching out to like any like Craigslist ad or um, any ad that I could find on the internet or MySpace was big back then. So I was looking at all these MySpace bands, like does anybody need a bass player and just reaching out. And crazily enough, like I, uh, I crossed paths with this guitar player that lived in my home hometown and I'd never met him before for 25 years of my life, we had lived within, I think it was five miles of one another and never knew each other existed. And he was literally like the best guitar player that I had ever, ever played with or met before. And I met him, not even in my hometown, I met him at a guitar center that was 50 miles away. Oh, wow. Oh, by the way, I wanted to mention this earlier, but I'm from Pittsburgh area. So... <laughs> I'm from like the greater, greater Pittsburgh area, but I didn't meet him in my hometown, which is about an hour east of the city. I met him a lot closer to, to the city of Pittsburgh. And the way that I met him was, is I figured, Hey, if I want to be a professional bass player, if I want to play in a band or, you know, like do something a little bit more serious, I've got to have a professional instrument. So I went to guitar center. I picked up an Ernie Ball Stingray, which has always been my favorite bass of all time. Uh, I didn't own one at the time. And I just went to town jamming on it, you know, slapping, like riffing, like just mostly improving for about an hour. And I was just cranked through this amp back there. And after I was done, that's whenever Lee, the guitar player I'm talking about, he came up to me and he's like, man, you're a kick-ass bass player. Like, you know, where do you live? And I told, that's what I told him where I lived. And he's like, how in the world have we not ever run into each other? So I just share that story to say that that was a really like super important moment because he was already kind of uh, Lee, he was already kind of uh, linked into the local music scene. And also he was playing lead guitar for a touring pop punk band, which might still be around time and distance is their name. And um, that, that moment like changed my life forever because it was through him that I made a lot of my other connections. It, it's where I met Lacey Sturm who I played bass with on numerous tours over the past three years. So, which was an incredible, like crazy experience. But um, through that whole process of like, kind of getting a lot more serious about music, uh, I used to be in a band with Lee, this guitar player that was called Big Atlantic. And we really were, we were at a crossroads because this was right around the time that the music industry was kind of dying and Napster happened. So right around 2008, 2009, I think that's when like the music industry kind of crashed and tanked with like all the downloading and stuff like that. 
but we were really at a crossroads because we were trying to figure out, okay, we really want a super top quality professional product to market our band, to really push to people out there. We don't really want to waste time with just putting out like a cheap home recording and grow from there because we kind of felt that that would just kind of be a waste of time at the end of the day. Uh, so we wanted to just go all in for this. And what we were debating between was, do we go and record at a professional studio that has all the gear? Um, we're going to have to pay top dollar and we're also going to have to pay for their time, but it might be worth it because we really don't know what we're doing. Or do we just do a whole bunch of research and figure it out on our own, buy some of the gear and uh, figure out how to DIY, like build a recording studio in our house. And we wound up doing a little bit of both, actually. We took a hybrid approach where uh, we bought a high-quality converter, um, compressor, and preamp that would be able to handle... We mostly were looking for getting like our final bass guitar and lead tones in our studio. Wait, so let me let me ask you a question about that. So yes, please, even go with ahead. that even with that gear that you initially bought, how did how did you go about deciding what you need? I mean, you said some things there that I think for people starting out may already be like over oh, their yeah. heads, like convert <laughs> like how'd you know what a converter was and that you needed a converter or that you needed a compressor? Well, I didn't actually, but <laughs> but Lee did because Lee was way farther ahead than I was at the process. But so he provided some some kind of high level like guidance based on his previous experience. Yeah, and there's a lot of lessons to be said for that because, and I'll I'll kind of get into that a little bit later. I don't want to jump ahead, but I think it was good you stopped me because we can just give some like quick get definitions until we do some deep dives later on, either this episode or in further podcasts. Uh, but. A converter is basically what takes electrical sound waves uh, that a microphone picks up and turns it into ones and zeros that your computer can read. Because pretty much all modern recording is done through a computer because of the recallability. Yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely, we're actually going to do a whole episode, you and I, uh, as we were talking about this, pretty early on, we're going to do a whole episode on just the digital recording process. And just, if you've never heard of digital recording, this is going to take you step by step from a signal, like for example, your voice, all the way till that signal gets into your computer and you can manipulate it. Yeah, so we'll definitely get into that. I was just curious, like, yeah, how you, where you even got started on like any gear, right? Like, what were your resources back then? And I, I so some of one of it was Lee, right? He just had a little yes. bit of experience. Yeah, so a lot of it was, and this is good advice to like anybody out there, like, he. Lee is really good. Well, he's a super big people person. He just loves people. So it's a little bit easier for him than it is me. I'm a little bit more of an introvert. But he would just get out and talk to everybody. Like if he heard a band that he loved their album, he would either meet them at a show or make friends with them on Facebook or whatever and just ask them, hey, like, where did you record this? How did you do that? And if they, if this band that he really looked up to, if they didn't record it themselves, then he would say, well, where did you record it? And then he would track down the audio engineer of the studio and he would ask all the same questions to that guy. So it was a lot of like one-on-one um, -on -one, like conversations with people, which I think really helped to steer us in the right direction. Because the other resource that we had back then, and it's still a really big resource, uh, was Gear Sluts. 
like gearsluts.com. And that's, that's kind of like where the problem is that we explained at the beginning of the episode, because when you hop online to some of those forums and want a simple answer to a question, instead it, you oftentimes get more questions than you do answers. There's not like a simple guide of like, I need to know this thing first before I even can think about this next thing. It's just, it's information overload, essentially. Yeah, and a lot of times, yeah, people on there assume for various reasons that, you know, that you're working with some some baseline of knowledge, which sometimes they'll they'll say things that are over your head and you have to even wonder if it's stuff that's important for you to know or not. And that's that's a lot of the inspiration for this podcast is to yeah. to help people start and develop a kind of a ground level uh, first principles approach. All right, so keep going. So you got so you guys bought some gear and you were ready some to gear. you were gonna do guitar and bass kind of DIY at home, right? Yeah, guitar and bass DIY at home. And then um, we were going to do the final drum tracks at um, this studio in New Jersey called the Pot Studio. Rob Freeman owns it. He used to play. He used to play in a pop punk band called Hidden in Plain View that were pretty big. So he had a track record, and he also worked with um, the Gym Class Heroes. I don't know if they're still around or a band, but they had a couple pretty big singles. And he did he did one of their major singles. Um, so we figured like drums was just too much for our, us to tackle, like just learning that stuff. So we wanted to trust somebody. We wanted to trust somebody else to do that, and as well as like vocals, because neither of us were like great singers, and we felt like. Let's just hand, let's hand somebody else control of that where we only have to think about the performance and don't have to think about like making it sound good. So essentially we just went half and half. Essentially we uh, just specialized in what we were good at because Lee's a crazy awesome guitar player. I'm a pretty dang good bass player. We felt confident enough in figuring out like at least hearing back like this is a good tone these are good takes. We weren't as confident with the drums and vocals, but I digress. Did you play the drums on it? No, we we actually recruited that drummer that Lee was playing with in that band, Time and Distance. So we ha- we were a three piece. Did you guys do the drum tracks first, and then you took those home with you and did the other instruments? We actually, so we did a little bit of both. We did pre pro, which we will talk about uh, yep, later yep. in the podcast. Um, but we did rough takes of all the instruments and that way we had drum tracks to play along with but they were just something that we put together that sounded really cheap in our studio you know we were just trying to capture the the drum parts and not the tones and then we actually tracked uh the final bass and rhythm guitar tracks before we did the the drums and vocals we did it out of order so we took the fi- we took the final bass and guitar tracks to the studio with us. But a lot of that and I don't want to get too off in the weeds, but a lot of those bass tracks I just tracked to a metronome because it was tighter than even with the drum tracks. But it was helpful to have the drum parts to link up with that, you know, especially rhythmically. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get into that strategies of tracking. I have as you're talking, I'm like having so many thoughts and like yeah, I did it like that too so many times and looking back I'm like wow yeah there's a lot of things I probably would have done differently so anyway we'll <laughs> we'll get into all those lessons learned yeah there's there's so many like 
I was feeling a little bit of pressure to like move on from my story pretty quickly. But as I'm thinking about it, like there's so many like little nuggets of wisdom to grab from there. So I think I just want to like kind of finish going through in a maybe a little bit more detailed way because I think there's things that we can grab and hit on in further episodes because I know, you know, <laughs> I'm not the only one that, that has been to these places whenever you try to go and record a song and make it sound great. Yeah, man, like, I preach it. A lot of, yeah, a lot of people have gone through those processes and felt all those same feelings that we did. So yeah, so let's fast forward. We go to the studio. It was a great experience just seeing like how a professional studio works, how a professional audio engineer goes about putting putting the tracks together and how there were a lot of conversations about, you know, what are you guys going for? What kind of a vibe? Like a vibe is like really important. Like it's... And it's it's a funny thing, but I think whenever you're only an instrumentalist and you're writing songs, they can still be good. But oftentimes, me as just a bass player playing in this band, Big Atlantic, because that's what I was at first. I was just a bass player. I was just thinking a lot of times only about my part and how good I can make my bass track sound and not really thinking too much about, well, how does my bass part blend with the guitar part? How's my bass tone blend with the guitar tone? How does that blend with the drum tone? Does it even fit at all? Mm. You know, like all, all of those things that I never really ever thought about before, uh, but then going to the studio and just seeing how Rob, our engineer, kind of asked us these questions made me realize, oh, he's trying to get at a much higher level than I was even thinking. And you're talking about the tone of the instrument, not so much the part that's being played right now, right? Exactly, but, yes. Okay. You could describe in ways of saying dark or bright or gnarly or, you know, any anything. Um, and so long story short, like it was a great, it was a great process. Like we got a great album, but I do remember something very distinct about it um, because I had very particular ideas of the way I wanted parts on the record to sound. Like there was one part of this record, I mostly play fingerstyle on bass and I played this one part on a pick. And I wanted that pick to have a really like clanky tone to it because it was a really percussive part and I wanted that to come through. And it was really hard to communicate that to our, to our engineer. And now, you know, this was a few years ago. So looking back now, I realized that he was also balancing not just what I wanted him to do, but also the tracks that he was given. So you can't, you can't take like a blues song and turn it into a death metal song. <laughs> right. Like it just, it, that's too far of a stretch to, to be able to do that. But I remember putting in like the rough mix that he gave us on, on our drive back home to Pittsburgh. And I remember putting in the tracks and I, simul I, I simultaneously was so excited and also so disappointed. I was so excited because everything was so tight and so like punchy. It was just the first time I ever heard like parts together that sounded so tight and clean. Like I had heard from professional records, but also I was so disappointed because I felt like the tones, even the drum tones, but mostly like the acoustic guitar tones were just not as good as like what we were working with in our home studio. I felt like our pre-production tracks were better than the final tracks. Hmm. 
And so this was a rough mix that this was a rough mix the engineer did for you before you guys left the studio. Yeah, like, and when I say rough mix, probably eighty to ninety percent of the way there. Okay. So it basically was close to being done. And you know, Rob, if you're listening now, this is not this is not a hate on you at all. You produced and mixed a great record. The point I'm trying to make is though, it was hard for me to articulate what I didn't even like about it. Like I couldn't even figure out why is why is what I played not matching up with what's in my head? Why can't I get that out? And I think that's what really sparked me going down this path of recording and wanting to do the studio. This fascination of like, I felt like I was such a good bass player and I am a pretty good bass player. Like I'm no... I'm no Victor Wooten or anything like that. Like he's way far beyond Ooh, me dropping. that I'll ever right. be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, I felt pretty proficient and pretty confident in what I was doing. But like, even though I was so good at playing my instrument, I felt like a complete amateur when it came to printing, getting that part recorded and down and making it sound the, sound the way that I wanted it to. There was some magic that was happening between the bass that I heard in the live room and and what happened whenever that was captured by a mic and goes through a computer and comes out speakers. There's something so drastically different and I couldn't figure it out. And that's what made me get so obsessed about this recording stuff. And then I just went down this, this obsessive rabbit trail of just absorbing as much information as I could, whether it be from forums or from YouTube channels or my own experimentation just to figure out, hey, how can I record something and make it sound awesome? Because I had a lot of song ideas. And the other thing too, and I want to throw this out there as well, like if you've ever played in a band before and um, felt like, especially if it's more of a jam band kind of a thing, which is always the kind of bands I played in, where we all just got in a room and we wrote a song together spontaneously. The drummer would start playing something and and I'd have something that went along with that and then the guitar player would add something. Um, but a lot of times what happens in those sessions is somebody comes in with an idea. Like I might come in, oh, I've got this cool bass groove. And I'd come in with this cool bass groove and have an idea in my head of like what the guitar part might sound like or the drum part. But so often because you're playing with individuals that don't have your same taste or background, like the drummer would start playing something that wasn't what I imagined. And then the guitar player would start playing something that I didn't imagine. And although that's where you can have a lot of magic happen, the downside is I felt so often that, oh, my song is getting changed before like I even get the full idea out. And so another reason for me wanting to learn how to record was just to get my ideas down in a more like finished format so I could present the full idea, because my full song idea wasn't my bass part. That was just one element of the idea that I had. But as long as I was, as long as I was only an instrumentalist, I could only present that one instrumental part. Whereas if I was a recording engineer, I could put the song together and take the song to my bandmates, and then we could yeah. work on it from there. So there's there's three things you said there that I want to flag because I think they're very relevant to what we're trying to do here. One is this idea of pre-production, which, as you said, we'll get into. It's this idea of being able to come up with coherent parts, a coherent arrangement. Two is the idea of tones and tones that that work together. Um, and 
again, that's something I think tone shaping is something in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of like guitar tone shaping, which is what I have most experience with that. I'd love to talk yeah. about, uh, you know, how to get the tone that's in your head out of your instrument and then record it and have it still sound the way it sounds in your head or better. Right. And then the third thing is communication. It's, it can be really difficult to communicate what you're hearing and, a lot of times we use like visual analogies, which can be very useful, but they're only very useful if you kind of have a reference point. So if I tell you, oh yeah, that sounds rounder or that sounds brighter or that sounds warmer, you need a little bit of a reference to know what I'm talking about. And once you kind of have that reference, um, it really helps you communicate, whether with your bandmates, with your mixing engineer, or just when you're trying to record your own tracks. And I think one of the cool things about having a podcast medium is that we're going to be able to play clips of different things and say, okay, check out what happens when you put the microphone here versus when you put the microphone here. And then it'll give us a chance to kind of describe it in our own terms. Once you hear it described and you can hear the actual difference, that's then vocabulary you have. Like you said, it's a language. That's then vocabulary you have to communicate with others, which is really cool because that's one of the most frustrating things for me is like was was exactly what you said. It's like not being able to first of all hearing something, knowing that it isn't right, and not even being able to articulate to yourself what it is you don't like about it. That's the first step. And then once you can articulate it to yourself, communicating that to another human being is like a whole different <laughs> challenge, right? Yeah. So you have to be able to do both, and we're going to try to give people that kind of that baseline and that language. Yeah. As you were talking, I also thought about, I, I thought about this idea too, because it was something I didn't realize whenever I started down this trail of recording and recording in and of itself is an art form as much as playing an instrument is an art form. And I think when I started recording or trying to do it more professionally, because I didn't realize that it led me to the false idea that like, because because I'm not getting the results that I'm wanting to get, the gear is what's holding me back. Yeah, there you go. And the reason I thought that was because I thought to myself, well, recording is just simply a scientific process-driven thing. If I get the microphone and I put it up to the amp, it should sound this way. So, and knowing that like, okay, I'm a really good bass player, I have really good tone. I have objective evidence of people telling me my tone is really great to know that it's just not in my head and that it's objectively decent tone that I can put into the real world. And the fact that I couldn't capture it on a record led me to the false belief that it was the gear. But in, but in reality, I didn't realize, but being a recording engineer and just learning how to use all this stuff, even though it seems like it should just be like a techie thing because it's wires and electronics and metal. It's actually kind of like being a painter in some ways and just knowing how to use your gear. And I think that that can really like, unfortunately that also means you just need to practice a lot. <laughs> but um, the, the good thing is, is that like, I just want to share that with you guys that are listening, that are thinking about getting into recording or recording your own songs, because you don't want to go down that, that rabbit trail of thinking like, Oh, if I just have this piece of gear that it's just going to make all the difference. 
like gear can make the difference. It can make you sound better, but that's not the first place to look. Well, and the, the way to look at it is it, it's like if you're setting up a, a tone and you have a bunch of effects pedals, each of those effects pedals is going to affect your tone or color your tone in some way. Really, when you're recording, that's kind of those those pieces of gear you choose and how you choose to use them will also affect your tone. So, you you know, building your tone, it becomes this complicated thing. If It's like, not only do I have to worry about what is my distortion pedal doing, I also have to worry about where I'm placing my microphone. And so being kind of methodical about how you, how you build your tone, which you, most people are already familiar with doing, you know, in their live setting or in their bedroom setting, they know how to get a good tone. Now you're adding a whole different kind of, like you said, like set of paintbrushes and paints that you have to figure out how to work with. So yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, it's a different, different animal. So I guess just to finish up my story, um, after I went through all of this, uh, I met Lacey Sturm. I played live with her a bunch, but through that whole time while I was playing the, the live gigs and stuff, I was still writing, working on recording songs. And I started realizing, uh, getting into mixing as well. And I started realizing, wow, like I not only love the audio engineering, I not only love writing songs, I not only like playing live, I not only like mixing, I love producing, I love working with other people. And that was something I probably wanted to have discovered had I not gone through that windy path of being a musician. So uh, I opened up Dream Loud Studio three years ago to help people with their music, you know, mostly the the two biggest things that I do is producing. I take people's songs. I work with a lot of artists that uh, are maybe just a vocalist and have an acoustic guitar or keyboard, and they want to make it like a full band, like huge production, and they bring it to me, and I help them arrange and orchestrate and sometimes play a lot of the instruments to get them a, a more modern and big, whether that be like pop, electronic, or like hard rock metal um i've done all that kind of stuff it's a blast i love doing it so that's what leads me to today and here we are now on the podcast very cool man well yeah it's it's interesting you know you talk to people who are doing engineering and producing and it's always interesting to hear how similar people's stories are right like everybody who's engineering is in some sense i don't want to say a failed musician but <laughs> you know they started as a musician and they either found that, you know, they kind of found their calling in, in producing or mixing. And um, yeah, it's amazing. I just, I've been, I reach out to a lot of other uh, people who, who run studios and, and do this kind of thing. And, you know, all their stories are kind of, I see myself in a lot of their stories. So it's always cool to, uh, to hear that background. Heck yeah. So now it's your turn, Vadim. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm Vadim. I'm from the greater Philadelphia area. Um, and I'm a guitar player. I started as a guitar player when I was, when I was pretty young and pretty much as soon as I got a guitar and an amp, I started writing music and experimenting with uh, multi-track recording. And so my strategy back then was I basically, I had a boom box that had, um, a little microphone built into it. So I would put in a cassette and I would hit record and I would record my little guitar part then I would take that cassette, put it into a stereo, like a second stereo system, put in a fresh cassette into my boom box. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and while playing back 
the first cassette I would record on a second layer. So I kept bouncing back and forth between two cassettes and like every time you did it, you would get a lot more noise and like a lot. I was going to ask how much background noise was on that. Oh my God, (laughs) dude, if I could find it, the first like multi, multi tracks, like (laughs) song that I made like that, I did a cover of Enter Sandman by Metallica. Nice. And my voice hadn't changed yet. And I was, um, it was, it was so bad. I wish I could find that cassette. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you, I love that you did the vocals too. Oh, that's oh, going to be a thing, gem. Man. I might've awesome. even like drummed out on some buckets or something. I can't remember. But anyway, so I was like really fascinated right away with the idea of just capturing sound and being able to, to play it back. And my parents eventually got me this, um, this four track Tascam cassette recorder, which I'm actually going to, I'll post a picture of it. Nice. On a Facebook group because I still have it. And that really, it was basically, you could record four individual tracks onto a cassette and you could, uh, you had four individual faders. So that was like my first taste of mixing. And man, I just like, I was just hooked forever. I just, I just loved that idea. I was always trying to convince my friends to record different cover songs and, and so on. So, um, in 2008, I recorded my first album, which was like a, a prog metal album, and um, I programmed the drums on it, and it just sounded terrible. Like it was one of those things where, you know, I recorded. What did you, what it did you use to? What did you use uh, drum wise? What was around? Yeah, this was crazy, man. So <laughs> I was using. It was called Fruity Loops at the time, right? It's FL okay. Studio now. So and they, you know, you could you could only really do like a fixed time signature and I was doing like prog metal. So I had all these different time signatures. So I had to like, <laughs> it was, amazing. it was a, like a mad scientist project and the drum sounded really fake and you know, it was all electronic. Anyway, it sounded bad. And like, I remember having the experience of listening to my track and then back to back listening to like a professional track and just being just disappointed, just really disappointed. Yeah. I mean, there was probably eight or nine tracks on this album if people are really, really nice to me, I might post a track off of it because I still have it. But I was upset, and um, I, I really didn't understand how it could be so bad. And and basically just did a deep dive. So this was in 2008, and I spent the next you know eight or nine years trying to just figure out how to make stuff sound better. And eventually, I I got to a point after I did a second album that sounded a little bit better. I was I realized that I liked producing and especially mixing. Basically, that was like my favorite part of the process and I couldn't really write music fast enough to to uh to mix, which is what I really wanted to do. So that's when I started um Calm Frog recording really to focus on uh producing and mixing and I do um I do a couple of genres but I I like working on like prog rock, prog metal, math rock, hard rock, that type of stuff. And, um, yeah, so, so that's kind of my background. And as I, I kind of look back on my journey from, from 2008 and I, I think about, you know, how I could have gotten here you know, this is still, I'm still on the journey, but how I could have gotten here faster and what advice I would have given to myself in 2008, right? In 2008, all I cared about was just getting a good sounding album. I didn't, you know, really, really care about anything else. So, I kind of, the way I kind of think about the process now is um, I think about the process from when you have an idea to having 
a fully finished song that you can distribute, it kind of involves several steps. You have the writing step where you just come up with the song idea. Let's say you have maybe a, a chorus or a hook or just a guitar riff. You're, you're kind of fleshing that out. Two is we, we talked about this briefly. You go into like the pre-production and arrangement phase, which is where you you know, you figure out, okay, am I going to have start with a verse or am I going to start with the chorus? And what are all the other instruments going to be doing at that time? Make sure that the bass isn't playing a half step up from the guitar because that's going to sound bad. So you kind of take care of all of those decisions, your vocal melodies, your lyrics. That's kind of step two. And then step three, once you have all that laid out, you go into the recording and production phase, which is where you you capture your performances and maybe add some little flourishes or, or whatever you're going to do and, you know, figure out what your tone is going to sound like and some of the things that that you mentioned, Ben. And then step four is post-production. Post-production is where you take those tracks that you've recorded or your mix engineer takes those tracks or whoever's going to be mixing the album and you do some editing, which is like one of the least sexy but most important parts of, of making a song. That's where you... You know, you take out any unwanted noise. If the vocalist was flat or sharp, you do a little bit of pitch correction. You make sure everything is tight. If you have to do, you know, if the drummer wasn't hitting quite hard enough, you maybe you maybe boost the volume on some of the snare hits to make things a little more level. Um, you kind of just basically clean things up. It's like cleaning your room. And then once once you've done that editing, then you go into the mixing portion, which is making sure that your instruments fit together. So is the bass fighting with the guitar or are they supporting each other, right? Is it, are they obstructing each other? Are they helping each other? So that's where you make equalization and compression decisions and make sure that kind of all the tracks work together. You can hear every instrument. The mix sounds kind of even across the frequency spectrum. So you don't have too much bass. Uh, you don't have not enough bass. You kind of make sure everything is is tucked in and, and plays nicely. Um, and then that's, you know, after that, you go into, uh, that's kind of the mixing phase. And then you do the mastering phase, which we'll, we'll talk about all of these in more detail. This is just a high level overview uh, in other episodes. But mastering is basically when your song is uh, made louder and more consistent with uh, what kind of would be an industry expectation for a release, right? So um, it has to kind of fit a certain set of criteria and mastering, make sure that it's it's ready for distribution. And then that's it. Then you're ready to distribute your song. So what I think about, you know, what I would have told myself in 2006 or 2007 would have been to definitely invest some time into learning the recording and production phase, because it is really accessible, especially with what's available to us today in the way of affordable gear. Um, knowing some techniques and knowing how to communicate things that you want to achieve can really go a long way to taking your songs to the next level. And the realization, I had, I had kind of a realization recently, specifically working with a client who was happens to be a bass player, and um, for logistical reasons, we got together to track the bass in a rehearsal space, and I brought some microphones and some gear, and we were able to get some some pretty good bass tracks out of it. And so I had this idea of, 
you know, bands can can record themselves in their rehearsal spaces. Uh, we'll talk about you know who that's for and who that isn't for, but it's really doable if you. And I, I'm I'm kind of thinking like this could be a good idea for a lot of bands for for a couple of reasons. One is that if you're in a band and you have a rehearsal space, you're already comfortable in that space, right? You you already know how to set your gear up. You're probably not rushed. You know where the bathroom is, right? All these little things that are kind of important for getting a good performance. It sounds trivial, but you know it's not. Like comfort level is is kind of a big thing for getting a good take. You know, I'll jump um, in there too, because um, yeah. that was a that was a big that was a big um, deciding factor of us recording, especially the rhythm guitar parts in Big Atlantic uh, at our own home studio, because it just takes a heck of a long time to get like rhythm guitar takes because most most of the time you're double tracking like every single part if not quad tracking and to be able to do that in your home at your own free time instead of being on the clock was like a huge determining factor in that yeah absolutely especially if you're meticulous and you're trying to get really tight takes man it's hard to do that when you're paying by the hour and you got people waiting and you got an engineer who might be kind of cranky in the studio a lot of pressure. So that was kind of a a big driver for me as well. So there's a lot to be said for being comfortable in your space and recording yourself. And again, looking back on like the journey, I think that's a worthwhile investment of your time for just, and we'll, we'll kind of parse through, help you parse through the gear that you actually need to do that. But getting those good recording tracks, the other analogy I like to, uh, to bring up is, is you think of a song as like being like a pyramid, right? Where the base of the pyramid is good songwriting. You're, that's kind of, that's the most important part. So the, as you go up the pyramid, you're going kind of further and further up the process. Um, and the decisions you make early on are going to have the bigger impact. Like the base of the pyramid is wider than the top of the pyramid. So, you know, good songwriting, there's, there's really no replacement for that. You got to have good songs. But then, you know, recording is 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 kind of is is down close to the base as well. If you can get good recorded tracks, when you push the faders up, they're already going to sound pretty good. So that's that's the goal here. Um, and I think um, you know, mixing is something that obviously something that I love. But there's a lot to mixing, and that's why we want to focus on kind of the the base of the pyramid here and help people get those good recorded tracks, which is going to make, whether you're mixing it yourself or you're paying somebody to mix it, it's just going to make for a better, less processed, cleaner, final product. So yeah, just to wrap it up, I mean, that's that's kind of, uh, I'm in the production and mixing game. Um, having gotten a lot of tracks to mix from, from other people, uh, I see an opportunity for people in the DIY sphere to just brush up a little bit and get cleaner sounding tracks going into the mixing process which is going to lead to a better finished product and that's our goal for the for the podcast here is to to basically arm you with the knowledge to successfully record yourself and successfully record your band uh you know we'll talk a little bit about gear and a lot about technique um always through a diy a diy perspective and uh always on maximizing your results with the gear you already have. I know you and I are both, we've talked about that. We're kind of both big proponents of that concept of learn the gear you have, 
use it to its full advantage. And yeah, sometimes you're going to need to upgrade certain pieces, but uh, until you've kind of understood things fully, um, you may want to think twice. Well said, buddy. Yeah, I think that... It might be an interesting exercise to play a couple of the songs I've recorded in my studio. And the same with you, because if you guys, if you guys knew what my setup was here at my house and heard those songs, you would never believe it. Cause I am basically running on a skeleton crew <laughs> or I was running on a skeleton crew when I did some of those. And it's a testament just to how accessible DIY recording is in 2019 and beyond. Like it's only get it's only going to get easier, and that's why this is. If you've ever thought about recording, this is the time to get into it right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea, actually, Ben. We should, maybe we can pick um, a song or two each, and just uh, maybe even at some point like dissect them and explain how we got certain sounds, um, and even let you know let people comment and ask questions and so on. Yeah, I like that too. That's also very vulnerable. But it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll do it. That'll be fun. Um, So I think that's going to be, I think that's going to wrap it up for episode one here, guys. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of an introduction, but just let you know kind of what we're about, who we are. And we got a lot of great stuff for you in store, Ben and I. You know, we've been uh, we've been racking our brains for for ideas. We've get we're getting some suggestions from um, from Facebook as well. You know some of the some of the things we're going to talk about are you tracking vocals in your room, uh, building a guitar tone, how to mic guitar cabinets, all kinds of great stuff that's gonna that's gonna help you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we we plugged what we do. Let's let's plug where we can where you can find us and how to get in touch with us. So I guess I'll go first. Um, you guys can find me on my Instagram handle, which is also, I well, I have two. But if you want to find me for recording stuff, that's Dreamloud Studio on Instagram. Uh, I have a Facebook page as well. And www.dreamloudstudio.com. You can find me there. Uh, everything else on Instagram, I'm Bass Rock Ben. That's for personal use and for anything bass playthrough-wise. But you guys can find me there. And... You, Vadim, where can people find you? You can find me at www.calmfrogrecording.com. Actually, I hate when people say www. You don't need that. <laughs> Just no, you don't, frog. but I, I wanted to, <laughs> yeah, I I wanted to specify that. Was <laughs> From now on, this is episode H-T-T-P one. H-T-T-P, double backslash. Which ones are the backslashes? I never remember. Anyway, so it's calmfrogrecording.com, all one word. Or you can hit me up on Instagram, which same thing. It's Calm Frog Recording. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The big ones for me are Instagram, and you can always uh, hit me up through the website as well. All right, guys. Have fun. Remember, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Have a good one. We'll see you next week. <laughs>